Blog Talk Radio. It's Monday night, and that means it's the latest episode of Graphic Policy Radio, where comics and politics meet. Now, this is the show for folks who wonder why Edward Snowden isn't seeking asylum in Latveria, and if he would, uh, if he did, would the Avengers or S.H.I.E.L.D. go get him if he did? Uh, I'm Brett, your host, and joining me soon should be my co-host, Alana, and we've got a guest tonight, Matt Miner, who is a comic creator. Um, his recent releases is Liberator, uh, number one, which came out last week from Black Mask Studios, and he's also got an entry for uh, uh, an Occupy Comics number two, which is also going to be out by uh, Black Mask Studios relatively soon. Uh, but before we get to that, we actually have got some huge news that uh, broke on the uh, internets today. Um, two comic publishers, uh, both off in the West Coast, Boom Studios and Arkea have uh, merged. Uh, Boom has announced that they are acquiring Arkea, um, and the two are going to merge into one giant, awesome, kick-ass comic publisher. Um Arkea is going to be an imprint of Boom Studios uh, and keep on doing what they're doing. Uh, Boom Studios is well known for their work. Um, a lot of their uh, recent creator-owned work, like Naturals, uh, Suicide Risk, uh, Daymen is getting Daymen is getting tons of buzz. Um, they also have some great kid stuff like. Um, uh, uh, well, we got someone calling in, um, one of our people. Uh, they also have some great uh, kid comics like Regular Show, Adventure Time, and combined with Arcade, it's going to be an awesome combo. So we've got someone coming, calling in. Let's check who it is. Hello. Hey, it's, hey, it's Ilana. Hey, how you doing? Great, great. Sorry about that. No, no, it's all good. Um, so I was just talking, um, I don't know if you're glued to the Internet like I am um, when it comes to comic stuff all day, every day, but um, uh, Boom announced today that they are acquiring Arkea, which is another solid comic company, um, and the two are merging yeah, and heard. form a kick-ass, so um, very, very cool. Uh, we've got some uh, questions out for them, so hopefully we'll get an interview soon, and I'm guessing that Matt is calling in right now, so let's get him on board. Matt? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, with me is Alana, and uh, first off, I just want to say thank you again for um, joining us, and especially on the last-minute um, request and to have you on. So thank you for, for joining us, and um, we're both fans of Liberator and Occupy Comics, so to have you on is so, so cool. Um, well, yeah, yeah, thanks thanks. Oh, a lot for having me. I mean, I like your site. I like uh, I like what you guys do. So this has been really cool. And actually, I think Alana and I have been Twitter buddies for a while. So, mm-hmm. so hi. It's kind of nice to meet you. Nice to kind of meet you. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to meet you on the phone. I, I remember talking with you about um, getting extra dog food out to folks during occup during occup during a Sandy. Oh yeah yeah yeah. That's right. Because you were asking me what people needed in my area. I was telling you to bring dogs food. That's yeah. because we had a we had a lot of people here who, you know, like the the Red Cross was coming with trucks full of food. I mean, after, after a few days, they weren't here for the first while, but you know, nobody was here here for uh, anyone's animals. So, but yeah, appreciate all the help. 
Well, I was going to go with the, the usual one to start off with, uh, Matt. Like, how how you got into comics? I think that's always, like, the first good, solid question. We can go from there. How I uh, got into comics. How I got into reading comics or making comics? Making comics. Oh, uh, how I got into making <laughs> comics. Um, well, I mean, when I was a kid, I I wanted to be a writer, and... After several years of rejections, I said, fuck this. Oh, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, okay. Uh, you know, after, I, I was rejected for a lot of years, and uh, I, I gave up. And um, then about 10 years ago, uh, I got active for animals. And, um, you know, I've been a comic reader my entire life. Um I got access for animals, and I learned about the uh, Animal Liberation Underground, which is uh, a movement of people who literally put on masks and dress in black and go and break out animals uh, from labs and farms. And and uh, they do this stuff in the middle of the night, and I thought they were kind of like superheroes, but for animals. And, I, you know, um, ever since then, I, I've kind of wanted to make a comic that operates within this world. So uh, I don't know why it took me so long after having the initial inspiration, but um, you know I wasn't happy at my job, and we were getting really heavy into animal rescue to the point where it was um, more productive for me to uh, you know maybe stay home with fosters um, and find something that I could do from home. Um, and so once I was laid off uh, from my job about a year and a half ago, uh, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to write. And I took a class, uh, a summer class from Scott Snyder. And, uh, you oh, know, wow. I kind of decided, yeah, I, I kind of decided, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I spent tons of money on research materials and classes and books and everything. I, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I, did this book and I did it justice and I did it right so that it would actually get picked up by a publisher. I mean, I, I had a lot of people telling me a, a book like this won't won't work in the, the mainstream comic market. You know, um, I had people telling me it would work as a zine if I put it out in, in info shops, you know, and that's about as, as far as it would go. Uh, but I had, you know, I had a lot of faith that people who already kind of read about masked heroes, um, might be interested to hear that there are actual masked heroes out there operating um, for animals right now. So, you know, I put this together, and uh, after a whole lot of work, it finally came out, uh, issue one last week, last Wednesday, and uh, the response has been really tremendous. We really enjoyed reading the comic. Um, do, you, do you think you could give us a, a quick description to our listeners who might not be familiar with it? Uh, with... with uh, a, a quick description Liberator. of the... Oh, yeah, sure. Well, Liberator is my uh, creator-owned comic. Uh, it's a gritty, um, underground, anti-hero, uh, vengeance kind of adventure story with heroes who, instead of uh, beating up dudes in capes and tights, are taking on more real-world issues like animal abusers, dog fighters, and the like. And uh, they are, in, you know, these heroes are inspired by real-life people who actually do this kind of thing. So, um, you know, this this idea of vengeance for animals and this underground movement is all things that I uh I I support. Um you know, I, I publicly support. So uh 
so you know I'm happy to bring this to the uh, the mainstream comic market. How did you yeah, actually start that... rescuing dogs yourself? What's that? How did you actually uh, begin rescuing dogs yourself? Because I know you, you um, do that personally. Like, well, the, uh, when did when did we first rescue our first dog? It was probably about four and a half years ago. I saw a dog on Facebook that was about to die in one of the shelters, and um, I was like, I got to get her out. And uh, so, you know, we started making phone calls and, and getting friends who could actually pull this dog because they weren't going to release the dog except to a rescue, um, like a, a registered rescue. And uh, got her out, and then ended up um, deciding to keep her and continue rescuing. So it was about four and a half years ago. Um, you know, before that, I was uh, heavily involved in above-ground animal rights activism, uh, street protests, um, things like that. Um, so, all, all in all, about all told, about ten years of uh, work for animals. You know, and it's not the only the only thing I care about. I'm not a, you know, I mean, I'm I'm human. I care about more than one thing. But uh, but yeah, ten years for for animals. I, one of the things I thought that was really interesting that you raised in the comic and that I'm sure will be an ongoing subject, I mean, like I can tell it will be, is the, is the conversation between um, the main character and uh, the woman, the other the activist, the other activist woman who he's friends with over what tactics and strategy are, you know, are best, whether or not protest or direct action is the right approach to take and what kind of direct action is most impactful and you know, any activist knows. I mean, these are questions that we all really debate, and that we really, you know, there's there's not there's not there's no consensus on, and everyone's always going back and forth. And and I think it's interesting yeah. that conversation playing out in the comics. Yeah, I mean, there there there's so many tactics out there, and I'm of I'm of the belief that in order to win any kind of social justice movement, there needs to be a variety of tactics. It's not going to yeah. take just you know, email campaigns, and it's not going to take just protests, and it's not going to take just leafleting, and it's not going to take just, you know, public pressure on lawmakers. It's, it's got to be a combination of things. And if you look at this, um, you know, I consider it nonviolent direct action um, because I, I, you know, let me, uh, let, me, uh, let me define violence. In my eyes, um, you can't be violent to an inanimate object. Um, for the simple reason that, you know, a pane of glass or an unoccupied automobile can't feel pain. Um, so if you break glass, you're not actually hurting anyone. Um, but on the flip side, you know, hurting an animal, I consider that to be very violent. You know, making a dog drink bleach or skinning an animal alive, I consider these things extremely violent acts. So <clears throat> um, when I'm talking about nonviolent property destruction and Direct action, I'm talking about, you know, breaking things, burning things, um, as long as all precautions are taken not to hurt people. So um, when you look at the uh, history of social justice movements and a lot of the successful social justice movements like the civil rights movement, like women's uh, suffrage movement, you'll, you'll see, um, if, you, if you look back there, that there were a variety of tactics used, including nonviolent property destruction, broken windows, mm -hmm. Um, things set on fire, you know, rocks thrown. Um, you know, and I, I, I believe it takes a variety of tactics, and that's why I've always, you know, vocally supported the uh, the underground movements 
for these uh, for these uh, for these campaigns and movements. Mm-hmm. Sorry, did um, that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, how how did you get connected with the artists who did the um, illustrations for the comic? They were really good. And and I think one of the things about them is they're like very realistic and naturalistic and and but also gritty. Uh, they're they're really they're really strong. How did you connect with the uh, with the artist who did them? Um, it it was it was uh, I leave that all to my my editor and letterer, one of my friends, uh, Vita Del Sante. We had a, a, a an art team that was on Liberator before um, the current art team, and we had different creative visions, and so. There was a split, and you know the the Kickstarter was already going, and we already had a solicit in Diamond, and I needed to find a replacement art team like immediately. And uh, Vito um, had experience with Javier Aranda, um, and said, you know, why don't you why don't you reach out to Javier? And I had already um, found this colorist, Joaquin Pereira, uh, who I was looking at. Um, for something else, and so I contacted both of them, and luckily both of them were free and able to redraw the first issue um, from scratch and completely bang it out before the uh, before the deadline. So, yeah, I think they I think they uh, did an excellent job. I, I think they really knocked it out of the park. Yeah, the characterization is really specific. You can tell who everyone is in every drawing. They're not all drawn the same. Folks who listen to the show. Uh, no, I, I really harp on how much I hate it when art makes all the characters have the same face with just different hair colors on them. Um, there's definitely every character looks like a real person, and and the settings all look very lived in and and real. Did you have a specific place in mind for this comic to be taking place? Was it supposed to evoke any particular area? Well, it's kind of in any town USA, but I lived in Portland for about ten years, and I have really fond memories of Portland. If you look at the comic. Um, one of the newspapers that's pulled up on the tablet at one point is uh, makes mention of Rose City. I mean, it's just kind of a like oh, a little Easter, Easter yeah. egg nod to Portland. It, it's not <laughs> taking place in Portland. It's in any town. It could be anywhere. It's important to remember right. that you know these these people could be any one of us. Um, you know, it doesn't take any special superpowers to be a hero, and it doesn't matter where you live, and it doesn't matter where you come from, as long as you have the uh, the courage in your heart to take action. So, you know, I mean, it's roughly based on Portland, that small, you know, a small city with, you know, rural area uh, surrounding it. Not, not far, but, yeah. But, uh, but, it, but it's not Portland. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you went with the Kickstarter route for the comic. Why did you choose to go with Kickstarter? And, and just generally, like, what lessons did you learn from doing the crowdfunding? Oh wow. Um well I went to Kickstarter because I needed money. Um just to get the pitch pages and <laughs> <Fair> point. <laughs> the uh yeah, I mean everything all told with the pitch pages and the research and the the schooling and everything else, I, I was almost ten grand into it, um, by the time I hit Kickstarter. <laughs> I mean I dra- I drained all my all my savings. I had sold off a bunch of my comics. Um, I mean I was really <laughs> Really, I mean, I needed money if I wanted to uh, wanted to do this. Um, the things that I learned from Kickstarter is raise a lot more than you think you'll need because things come up and then you're scrambling. You know, when an art team, you know, God forbid, you you have an art team that that leaves, um, 
it can leave you with a lot of uh a lot of negative uh, money you know um especially if you're in the position of having a new art team redo their work so you know raise more than you need you know overestimate um something something that uh something that I learned is the uh international shipping add-ons those actually uh you know if it's a twenty dollar add on that that adds um that counts towards the total uh dollar amount that you're raising for you know mm-hmm. say for instance you are running a Kickstarter for a hundred dollars and you get a fifty dollar pledge and it's a fifty dollar shipping add on because it's international Kickstarter thinks you have the full hundred dollars that you need, but really you oh wow fifty dollars shipping yeah, I mean it took me a while to to actually realize that, and you have to put it in really like you know, simplified terms like that because I, I I mean I still can't wrap my brain around how much um how much money I don't have because of the shipping add ons. But you know, it's something something to uh something to think about. Oh. It's definitely something I hadn't heard. So how did you publish how did you promote um your your Kickstarter and how were you able to build so much support for it? Oh <laughs> um well we had a lot of uh support through the animal rights community, the environmental community. Um, animal protection groups um, kind of sponsored the Kickstarter and, and provided like uh, rewards to, to bundle up with copies of Liberator. Um, there were bands that jumped on board, uh, like Propagandi and The Descendants and uh, Bad Religion. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they, 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 sent, they sent rewards. Um, you know, different animal rights organizations sent rewards. Um, you know, so I had a, like a nice stock of unusual, uh, kind of unique rewards in the Kickstarter, and then, uh, and then once the Kickstarter was running, I reached out to the community outside of comics as well as the comics community for support. So I was working, you know, twelve, thirteen hours a day trying to get interviews and articles and plugs on different websites. You know, different. Uh, you know, environmental websites. We got something on uh, Mother News Network and Ecorazzi, and uh, we got, you know, interviews with comics uh, sites like Bleeding Cool, and we got things on, you know, like the Earth First Journal. I mean, we we ran the whole gamut of um, people who'd be interested in this. You know, I just really tried to reach out to anyone who, who uh you know, might see the value in having this kind of comic book in the in the marketplace. Well, so really, I mean, it sounds to me like you really went grassroots and took political organizing to comics. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I have so much experience doing that kind of thing for for causes. I guess I kind of use just the same the <laughs> same kind of you know outreach techniques for you know fundraising for this comic. Hey, Lotto, we finally have proof that we're not full of shit on that, on that uh, argument, yeah. that it works. It's really true. It's really true. We, we often talk that comics should learn a lot from political organizing and activists when it comes to marketing and promotion. Can I admit, though, when I read the, the um, part about finding in the, in the comic about find, you know, how the main character found homes for all the dogs that, uh, for that, at the dog fighting place he was shutting down, my first thought was like, 
oh, I wonder what he did to be able to do that. That was probably a pretty heavy lift. And, like, I first I completely sidetracked on the logistics in my mind of, like, mm-hmm. hmm, you'd have to do this and that and the other. It's like, no, stop. That's not the point. <laughs> Get back to the story. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that's brought up by the opposition a lot. Um, you know, people will liberate, say, lab animals, and the opposition will make some stupid kind of comment like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you release all those animals out into the wild and they're all going to die. Well, guess what, dummy? They're not releasing them out into the wild. They, they they have places for these animals to go before they even enter your lab, you know? I mean, really ridiculous stuff like that. So I wanted to make sure people understood, you know, he's not, you know, taking these dogs and then setting them loose on the street. Yeah, yeah. It was really definitely important to, to, to include that. Yeah. So the... the Comic. Um, oh, go ahead. I was going to say. So, um, the comic is, was released by Black Mask uh, last week. Um, How did you wind up getting associated with that publisher? Um, I mean, it, it, it was luck, really. Um, you know, and it's it's a matter of like having having friends who pointed me in the right direction. I uh, I pitched the book to one other publisher, and it it was turned down because it. I mean, it wasn't a right fit. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, you know, yeah, they were right. It wasn't the right fit. Uh, but when I was doing, you know, going through the pitch process, um, an acquaintance that I uh, chat with on Twitter sometimes uh, who runs one of the anonymous um, uh, Twitter accounts pointed me to the Occupy Comics Kickstarter. And I hadn't heard about Occupy Comics yet, and I went over there. And I followed some links, and I found that it was being put out by Black Mask. Then I saw who the principals of, of Black Mask were, and one of them was Steve Niles, the horror writer. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, Steve and I are Twitter buddies. I had no idea that they were, you know, starting this up. And so I tweeted at Steve. I was like, hey, can I, you know, bend your ear on the phone for like five minutes? And uh, so that's how it started. You know, I uh, I talked to him, and I guess he was interested enough that... He asked me to send him a pitch, and you know, and and there we were. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of Steve. I mean, he uh, he's been very vocal politically, and great uh, great to go back and forth with him ever so often. Um, I think he was really vocal on the whole Sopa Pippa fight, which was a pretty brave and ballsy stance for creators to fall on the correct side of it. Um, I know. So yeah, how did you get... when when you're looking at a it's something that something that uh, could stop piracy, but you're, you know, you're you're smart enough to realize that it's not worth it, you know, even though that's your yeah. friend's daughter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there were so few that kind of, like, saw past it and were like, this is just, you know, not that, I was on, the, you know, the anti-side and, you know, I'm not pro-piracy, but that was just the way to solve the issue. Um, and there was, right. you know, this handful of creators and publishers that, that spoke out, and it was it was great to see. Like that was one of the most politically active I've seen the community, and it was I was in geek heaven at that point. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, uh, you actually, actually have an item. Go ahead. Sorry for cutting you off. I was just gonna say Steve falls. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Steve falls on the right side politically on um, all the issues that I care about, at least. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's definitely someone to to follow and watch and, and listen to. Yes, absolutely. Um, you actually have a, an item in Occupy Comics, the second issue, um, and it deals with 
um, your your um, interaction with Occupy Sandy and you know that whole um, situation. Can you kind of walk us through it, like how you got involved with that second issue, um, and you know your experience through with with Occupy and Sandy? Uh, sure. Well, um, you know, I live out here in Rockaway, and uh, we stayed behind because we have, you know, foster dogs, and we have our own dogs, and I know that the shelters were taking animals, but, you know, they're not going to take three pit bulls, a Rottweiler, you know, four cats. They're not going to do it. So um, we stayed behind, and we also knew animals and people and everybody, you know, if we did get hit hard, they were going to need help afterwards, so... So we didn't evacuate, and we stayed here. And um, I was live-tweeting kind of the storm uh, when it was happening. And at this point, I was already, uh, Liberator was already picked up by Black Mass Studios. And one of the principals uh, was pretty uh, avidly watching my my Twitter uh, feed as it was filling out everything that was going on. And uh, and then... uh, after after everything went down and you know uh, people were pretty much back to normal, he came up to me on online and uh, asked me if I'd do a piece about uh, Occupy Sandy's work out here. And because I actually had you know like a, I mean it's small, but it's uh, it's more uh, symbolic the story that I wrote uh, about Occupy Sandy, my uh, my interaction with them probably didn't mean anything to them, but it meant a lot to me. So I wanted to be able to say thank you because, I mean, I think they're still out here sometimes, you know, working. Mm-hmm. I still see the signs up. You know, it's crazy. They they haven't gone away. And uh, I, I think we owe them a lot out here in Rockaway, so I wanted to be able to uh, to say thank you in a, in a small way. I think your story on Occupy Comics 2 was one of the strongest pieces in the book. I thought it was really fantastic. Wow, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I mean it uh, works. It really works. It really works. I, I I think the artist on that really helps bring the story alive. Um, he's a buddy of mine, Sean Von Gorman, and uh, normally he does kind of uh, more comedic things, but I knew that he could handle this and uh, and do it really well. And I was right. I think uh, the two of us together really told that story well. I was happy with how it turned out. I mean, yeah. To to me, I mean, yeah. I, I'm with totally with Lana. Like, I think it was definitely one of the strongest in the issue. Um, the thing I really liked off of it was how you kind of emphasize that, like, the Occupy people were there. Like, the the electric companies wasn't there. Red Cross didn't show up for like I think he said like a week. Um, you know, it was it was the Occupy Sandy movement that showed up and and helped out and chipped in when basically you guys were forgotten and like it, there was an emphasis to that, but at no point where you 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 were bitter and angry. It very much came off as very thankful and happy and and um and gracious to the Occupy folks for showing off. Like it was just a fantastic balance. And me, you know, sitting in D.C. and not being around that, you know, it kind of reiterated to me the situation that was going on and really kind of brought home, you know, how fucked up it was. Um, they right. guys were basically abandoned. So, I mean, like massive props to it. It was really, really well done. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, that story just, you know, it, it means so much to me. Um, 
and you know I can't I, I can't even read it myself without getting emotional just because everything that we went through and everything everyone out here went through and how grateful I am to Occupy for everything they've done for us out here you know so yeah thank you I, I appreciate the kind words yeah no problem um, something that kind of jumped at me going back to Liberator in the back of uh, the issue you had two articles, prose articles from people that are in the animal rights movement, anim, animal liberation movement. Um, is that something that's going to be going on with every single issue? Uh, yeah, it is. You know, I, the way I wrote Liberator, I wanted to write a cool story that operated within this world, um, and I didn't want to preach. And I think I succeeded with that because uh, all the uh, the reviews from the major sites are saying. You know, I, you know, I thought this was going to be preachy, but it really wasn't. This was awesome. So, you know, that's what I wanted. It was, you know, a story that involved these, you know, animal liberation kind of heroes um, without droning on and on and having it be some sort of info dump um, on the reader because, you know, nobody wants to read that. Um, but at the same time, I did include those prose articles from people within the uh, within the movement because... You know, some people may want to learn more afterwards and may want to check it out further, and so I have that there for them. Uh, the first issue, I have an article from the uh, North American Animal Liberation Press Office, and these are the people that receive anonymous communiques from real-life liberators, and uh, they disseminate those to the mainstream media and explain the motivations and tactics and, and reasons why people took whatever action it was. So they, they act as a uh, news outlet for these people who operate in secrecy. And then the second article was from somebody who has been doing pit bull rescue and, and work with, uh, with pit bulls for the last, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years. And, uh, and she was really instrumental in saving a lot of dogs from uh, Denver when they enacted a uh, pit bull ban and tens of thousands of dogs were killed because of this, and uh, she was able to save a lot. So I had a story from, from her as well. And then uh, moving forward, we're going to have articles uh, from the head of Beagle Freedom Project, uh, Shannon Keith, who's a figurehead in the movement, and uh, she, what she does is she actually legally works with animal, animal testing labs to get them to release their beagles after they're done with them uh, instead of killing them like like most labs do. So uh, she gets them to release them and then find homes for them. Um, also have someone from uh, Sea Shepherd coming up. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Whale Wars on Animal Planet, but um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm buddies with a few of those people. And uh, one of them has been with Sea Shepherd probably, I, I don't know how long she's been with them, like 10, 15 years. And wow. uh, she's doing it well. Yeah. She's one of the uh, one of the regulars. <laughs> well, I look and forward then, to reading those. Yeah. 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 Oh, speaking of Sea Shepherd, have you been reading The Massive? Uh, yeah, I have, actually. I have the, well, I read the first couple issues and then decided to pick it up and trade. And so I need to, oh. uh, I need to read the trade. But as soon as I started reading, I was like, this is, like Sea Shepherd at the end of the world, so I wanted to. Uh, I definitely wanted to check it out. I have to trade. You, you like, like me to read pile. Like, <laughs> oh, did you like? So you like the series a lot? Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the first couple issues that I've read, yes. You know, like I said, I I picked up the trade um, 
you know, I read the first couple issues just to, to see what it was like. And uh, Brian was such a phenomenal writer, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's one of the next things in my uh, to read pile here. I do really am really curious to see what folks act like. Sorry about the crazy phone. Anybody hearing them? Um, uh, you know, if folks who work for actual, like work for Sea Shepherd and who are doing that work would think of a series like that. I think everyone who's doing really heroic work deserves to see themselves reflected in, you know, in art and in our culture, really. So I hope they have the opportunity yeah, to pick it up. I agree. I it. agree. And, you know, and if, uh, if, if, you know, including an article from someone at Sea Shepherd gets somebody active for whales or if it makes people think twice about Sea Shepherd and, and you know, makes them not believe the lies that they're all eco terrorists and stuff. Then, then, it, then it's done its uh, it's done its job, you know. So, yeah. folks who might not know, know, uh, like I myself, like I'm only peripheral. I said in the in the review, like I only I know the issue, but I don't know specifics. Um, to really describe, like, what some of these folks uh, risk going through animal liberation, like what type of um, Things can happen to them. Like, uh, put it, I'll just put it bluntly. Like, what what crimes could be brought up against them? You know, that they care so much about this cause. Um, oh, sure. How far are they willing to go? Sure. Well, I mean, anybody who does any of this kind of stuff is risking. Well, they're you know they're risking jail, prison, and it's not just you know regular state prison where you can get paroled. Um, it's uh, it's federal time. They're risking terrorism enhancements. They're risking, um, you know, I mean, if you burn down a school because you're an arsonist, uh, you might get, you know, five to ten years in state prison. If you burn down, you know, a meatpacking plant uh, because you're you're uh, an animal liberation person, uh, you could be looking at 25 years because they tack on the uh, terrorism enhancements. You know, I mean, never mind the fact that Nobody uh, in the underground animal liberation movement has ever hurt anyone in over 30 years, and that's not an accident. Um, but they had these uh, terrorism enhancements on. It's just ridiculous. And you guys know, I mean, if you follow the Occupy movement, how quick people are to throw that word around now and yeah. uh, and call, you know, people camping with signs, terrorists, domestic terrorists, and call anonymous, you know, they're hackers, call them terrorists, you know. I mean, that, that word just is losing all meaning because instead of applying it to people who are actually, you know, looking to hurt and kill people, uh, lawmakers are just applying it to whoever is their opposition in social justice movements. And it's really it's really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What other movements are you involved with um, on top of the animal rights stuff? Um, you know, right now uh, it's just the rescue stuff, really. Um, you know, when I when I first started off doing protests and stuff, I was doing, you know, gay rights stuff. Uh, I was doing, uh, you know, that that that's really where I started off. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's the animals where I see that, you know, the most work needs to be done. I mean. I wasn't at Ducati Park all the time, but I was there sometimes. Um, you know, the the uh, the big thing that I'm I'm most involved in is the animals. So we we usually ask um, how people got into like reading comics, but I actually have a, a different one for you. 
because um, I right now I'm just totally thinking about my first experience. What was your first like political experience, protests, like uh, uh, social justice action um, that you can remember? Um, well, it, it was there was a uh, proposition in uh, Portland, Oregon after I moved there after high school. I grew up in a really small town and was very sheltered and very conservative. And I uh, moved to Portland, and uh, there was a uh, proposition uh, on the ballots that would uh, make child pornography illegal. Um, and, of course, child pornography was already illegal, and, you know, I mean, obviously. But what they had tacked on to the tail end of this was a bunch of stuff that took away rights from gay people. And so, um, you know, I, I really traced my... My actions, my activism, uh, back to back to protest against that. Uh, there were there were street protests in Portland against this, and um, you know I would go out go out for that because I mean, you know I came from a town where gay people were, you know, uh, picked on, abused. Uh, I was called a fag every day. Um, you know, it didn't matter that I wasn't. It didn't matter, you know, if I was. Um, you know, I looked funny. I dressed weird, uh, so I was, you know, bullied, and uh, and so I had pretty strong feelings about, you know, people who would use the law to further bully these uh, these groups of people. So I think I really um, bring it back there. Hmm. Did you remember like how I, old you were roughly when you did that? Uh, yeah, I was I was just barely eighteen. I mean, because I I literally moved from from Portland like uh, two days after high school graduation, so I mean, oh, I wanted out really bad. Yeah, but I went to I went to school up there, and and uh, and you know I was just barely eighteen, probably. I'm what thirty thirty eight now. So. Well, <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, you know, I really look forward to the next issue. When is it going to be out? Uh, it's scheduled for July 17 right now. I think we're trying mm-hmm. to possibly get it out sooner, uh, but, but you know, no promises on that, just because we would rather have it out uh, a little bit before San Diego Comic Con, if possible. Oh wow! Do you think you might attend? What's that? Think are you going to attend San Diego Comic Con? No, no, I, I'm not going to uh, San Diego. I'm, I'm for sure going Salt Lake Comic Con and New York. But uh, no other cons oh, are built right now. Yeah. Well, look for, looking forward to seeing cool. your Comic Con for sure. Cool. Yeah. Uh, for so folks, folks who want to get involved. Question. Yeah. I think a lot. You're probably going to ask the question I'm going to ask. So go right ahead. I don't know. Maybe I'm not. I was going to ask. Um, just uh, I was wondering if there are any comics you're reading right now that you'd recommend listeners um, give a, give a try to, in, uh, in addition to the one, in addition to the ones you're working on. Um, yeah, I mean, I just finished uh, reading Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth, which is really amazing, awesome, uh, kind of post-apocalyptic book with human-animal hybrids. Um, what else am I reading right now? I was out of comics for a while, so I'm, I'm kind of reading some older stuff, uh, reading uh, DMZ right now, too, by Brian Wood, which is another excellent, excellent book. Yeah, Wood seems to do great political comics. Um, so I, I guess the, the, the final question would be is, 
Uh, for folks who wanted to learn more about the um, animal rights movement, animal liberation movement, um, do you have sites that they can go to, um, places they should check out, organizations they should look into? Uh yeah, I mean, I would check out Sea Shepherd if, you know, you're interested in the oceans and whales and how that all ties into all of life on Earth. I would check out Shack, that's stop hunting and animal cruelty uh, for issues on vivisection, which is animal testing. I would check out Mercy for Animals. Uh, they do a lot of great under undercover investigations, um, kind of exposing uh, factory farms and slaughterhouses. And uh, the stuff is hard to watch, but, you know, the way I feel is if the animals have to go through it, uh, the least we can do is bear witness and learn from it. So, um, you know, check them out if you can. I've got friends with uh, that work for PETA, and I've seen some of those videos, and it's not easy to watch. Um, I mean, it's just disgusting. It's not um, easy to watch, but that shouldn't be a reason not to watch it. Because, yeah, um, very good point. You know, and if if uh, anyone's interested, Google a movie called Earthlings. It's narrated by Joaquin Phoenix, and it kind of covers the entire gamut. And it's an hour and a half, and it'll make your life better. And uh, for people to get a hold of you, um, do you want to like plug your website, Twitter, stuff like that? How, how can sure. they find uh, you on the web? Yeah, sure. You can find me on uh, Twitter at. Matt Miner, M-A-T-T-M-I-N-E-R-X-V-X, or at mattminer.net. Cool. I I really appreciate you coming on. Cool. Thanks, guys. I I really appreciate uh, appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, looking forward to the the second issue and uh, hopefully meeting you in New York. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye. That was a very cool discussion. Yeah, yeah. I really hope folks will pick up the book because I was really impressed with the quality. It's always nice when yeah, I mean, the... you want to support for political reasons that also stands on its own as good art, you know? Yeah, I mean, the the thing that kind of struck me reading it was um, how much it got right about politics and some of the discussions that we've got, we do on the you know the back end, and it wasn't just like, oh, this guy's an animal liberator, or watch, he's going to go like break into this place and cause all these issues. Like there was an actual debate going on, and um, and you, you know you could tell there was more to it than just the action, so it wasn't like glossed over. I thought it was was pretty realistic, and um, you know, massive props for that. It was very cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I know you wanted to talk with about um, Wolverine and the X-Men. This yes. Is, uh, now that I'm finally caught up. Did, did you pick up the latest issue? Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did. I just read it today. And what did you think? It's very funny. A lot of fun. Um, I have to say, I think that Lady... Mo- I don't know if they just invented Lady Mojo for this book, but she's totally like the supervillain version of me, like any supervillain who admonishes people about writing bad press releases is like the supervillain version of Ilana. I was like, yeah, totally. I hate when people do bad press releases. This is really an important <laughs> skill you guys need to know. <laughs> but it was, it was like bad press releases and then uh, it was like how to take sympathetic hostages or something like that. 
Yes, exactly. How do we choose the right hostages for? How do we choose the right hostages for our focus groups? How do we best traumatize our target demographic? I mean, I would say this is that was like that's like that's like super villain Ilana basically. (laughs) (laughs) So, folks who who don't know, um, Wolverine X Men is is two of our uh, one of our more favorite comics. Um, Did definitely go through a dip, and then they have this new storyline involving um, the new Hellfire Club where a bunch of the kids go over to a rival school from Wolverines that's run by the Hellfire Club, so it's all villains running it. And the classes are just, to say it out there, and I don't want to like read them all off because it would just ruin the jokes, but like I was, I was laughing out loud. I thought it was so great. Yeah, I really think it was a very funny issue. Very funny issue. And, and the thing is, is it, it came back to the kind of the the feel of the series in like the first story arc, which I thought was kind of missing recently, um, where it was very tongue in cheek but sort of serious at the same time, filled with humor, um, some like crazy stuff that you just are staring at the page. Um, really, I just I think it reflected really well to that like first story arc. Mhm. It did. Um, and I'm really looking, I mean, I, I, like I said, we had been kind of getting a little bit less enthusiastic, and then we're all full in now. It's really, comic has really gone strong again. And I like where yeah. the story's heading. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I, I dug it, and, I mean, it was fun, it was humorous. I, there was a new issue that comes out this week, I think, um, so it should be interesting to see if they're able to keep up that um, that that pace and humor and the writing style for for this entire story arc. I'm crossing my fingers because I loved it. I mean, it says something when I'm able to read it out loud to my girlfriend sitting next to me and she's laughing. Yeah, it was really funny. I, I think the only thing that I'm a little bit feeling weird about is like Paige Guthrie losing her mind. Is this really been something that this is, is it a real substantive? stuff pointing that way so I, I thought it was funny what they were some of it what they were doing with her when she was just like yelling at the kids um that was kind of entertaining and then what happened to toad like i actually my heart broke at that one um her i don't i don't oh yeah absolutely i i liked what they were doing with her i thought it was really funny um, I don't know where the hell the whole her losing her mind came from, though. Like, it just seemed very yeah. out of it. Like, there was a, a thing, I remember Wolverine the X-Men, but it was only, like, a, an, maybe an issue where she kind of just cracked and was like, look at me, I'm ugly or whatever, blah, 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 I have this horrible mutation and da-da-da-da-da, and she just kind of flipped, but it wasn't quite to this level. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I don't know. They, they they did hint towards it, and I actually liked the way it was written before, but it felt a little bit, oh, yeah, another crazy woman, whatever, dealing with her crazy lady problems. <laughs> I, I mean, I do think that there's an interesting way to try to wrangle with her, her powers, I suppose. But. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was okay. Like, it, the her losing her mind was kind of left field. How, however, they kind of depicted her and some of the stuff they were doing with her was really funny and entertaining. Um, so I'm kind of separating the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was about 
And the only other thing I can't figure out is the the guy with the wings with the floating skull head. I can't think of what the hell he's been in, if anything. I think they said one of the guys was from Avengers West Coast villain or something, which obviously is hilarious in and of itself. Um, <laughs> I really love the students who like they have it shows who shows up. Who's just like I didn't know this was super villain school. Uh, he's like, please, I want to. I thought. That was particularly funny and appropriate. Um, and uh, the creation of the snot character is yes. the creative power set. They're really doing a better job of recognizing all the ugly mutants out there. I just wanted to say it's taken long enough. Yeah, I mean, that's... And the, uh, it's one the really unappetizing and non-sexy powers, you know? <laughs> well, there was the like, eyeball ad or whatever the hell his name is. I... I yeah, basically, I I boy, I and boy, maybe cool. whatever. They show you and they show you in the future issue how he really does eventually, be, you know, master his powers, and they actually are really useful, you know, and not just a, something that makes it a forward, but something that's actually useful. Um, but it's definitely shown as being so that he doesn't realize that he's an adult and that he has to grow into, which is true for you know a lot of us. We have a lot, a lot of people have gifts, I guess, that don't really feel that way when you're. Younger, but when you're an adult, you really go to appreciate them. Just thinking about I, that. Uh, I just know. Sure. I have issues looking at him. I don't know, the drawing or whatever it is, just something freaks me out. The nose, snot, or eye boy? Or eye boy. Mm-hmm. Snot doesn't bother me. The, the eye boy dude, I don't know what it is with all the circles. Something like just freaks me out. But I've I've seen that sort of thing in like horror movies that it freaks me out with there too so I no freaking idea what the hell it comes from but yeah oh. I cringe <laughs> um, so what else we uh, we've got to discuss um, with your recent reads um, did you read the uh, latest issue of Batwoman no I didn't, but um, uh, our other contributor to the site, Sean, gave it like a high praise. Yeah, I stopped reading Batwoman. Batwoman, I basically had gotten like, eh, this issue was good. I really liked the art this time, the characterization. It was really haunting. Um, I feel like the book's catching its stride again. So, good layouts. Mm-hmm. Francesco is the artist. Yeah, Frank, he does amazing work. Um, you know, if you put out some of the best artists right now, he would be easily probably in my top five. I, I don't know really if I've ever writing, read, yeah. yeah. And he definitely is, you know, going from the J.H. Williams the third school of page layouts here. The uh, frames are laid out like reptile scales, and this issue is largely from the perspective of Killer Croc. Uh, I think that they did a really good job of manifesting the character's voice, and I liked how they were using the crocodile visual motif throughout his part of it, and it was really well written, <laughs> and really, really did a good job of conveying his voice. Yeah, I mean, you for, know what? I'm I would say for, oh, sorry. oh yeah, uh, I was going to say for, Frank Avila like really has a, a style similar to J.H. Williams, but I don't think I've ever seen him do layouts similar to him, so that'd be kind of cool to check out. What else is he 
Um, he does um, for Dark Horse. He well, he, one he does tons of covers. Um, but for Dark Horse, uh, the Black Beetle, which is like a noirish pulp superhero that I I dig. Um, he's it's his series, and I, I really like the first oh. um, first arc. You think it's good? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll start reading it then if you think it's good. They give us they give us um, promo copies, which makes it really easy for you know. A yeah, a remind chance. me. I think I'll, I have uh, it. I'll send you the first. Sounds great. Would love that. Yeah, if you need it or yeah. you need it. it's cool. Like it's a pulp like kind of like thirties uh, shadow type thing. Um, interesting character, kind of a fun world. You know, simple story, but there's something that's just fun about it because they have like a retro sense to it, but really cool art. Um, Sounds great. I'll give, it, is, I'll give it a read. It's a style you know what I'm I like. Totally, uh, you know what? I'm totally canceling. Oh, I want to hear this. What's this? Batman Incorporated. Did you read this month's issue? Uh, no. I actually don't Good. read Batman Incorporated anyways. <laughs> how ba- Why? How bad is it? I'm done. Well, this issue was supposed to be about the Batman of Japan, whose name is Kenji and is an interesting character in his own right, but the new writer, I didn't, I hadn't, I had forgotten this was the first one that's done without Grant Morrison. The writer was just really cheesy and stupid, and I don't know, it was stupid. I, I, I would get my money back if I could, I'm not even kidding. The art was ugly, but the art on the book's never been particularly to my liking, to be to be honest. But um, it was predictable and stupid, and uh, not not going to read it anymore. I'm yeah. done. I've never been a huge Morrison fan, anyway, like a Morrison fan, period. So that's one I generally skip. So it, now I'll definitely stay far, far away. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that comic is it going to keep going. You know, I'm not. Really I have no idea. I mean, at this point, I, I don't. Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, it, uh, it could be interesting to see where it goes with the whole, you know, Robin being dead sort of thing. But, you know, well, and maybe it's that. a good excuse to. Well, it, you know, it could be good to just an excuse of trying out different characters. Like, I think one thing DC was doing well for a while that they seemed to drop recently was to give other characters backups. I mean, they had their anthology, which was nice. Um, you know, doing it, and maybe one of these Batman of the world catches on, and you can spin it out as opposed to just being like, hey, we're going to do Batman of Japan of a series. Not saying they are, but, uh, you know, it's a good way to, I think, test, but who knows if You're that's right. on their that mind. That would be a good way to do it. That would be a good way to do it if it was written well. But I also believe in anthologies, and so few folks actually do anthologies. Um, speaking of comics that suck, <laughs> uh, Age of Ultron is finally over, and holy shit, did it end oh, with good. a turd. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so did you, end up, did, you, did you end up reading much of it at all, or just... Oh, I read it all, because I'm a sucker for t- uh, punishment. Um... The final issue, like, it's a huge time travel event, and it doesn't even follow the time, its own time travel rules correctly, which is frustrating. And there's so many plot holes at the end that, like, my 
I was I actually went to the comic shop and started kind of ranting uh, with all the plot holes and been like, well, they didn't resolve this, 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 or this. Um, and it's none of the stuff that they were like, I'll get to the second part of why I really disliked it. And I, like, I even had the guy behind the counter grabbing his head being like, oh my God, why did you bring this up? Now I'm going to go crazy. Um, and then the second reason I really disliked it was it had like all these prologues or epilogues, whatever. At the end, uh, it would kind of wind down one storyline and then it would be like, follow the next step, get this series, and have like an advertisement, which one kind of breaks up the issue in a really awkward way, but two makes me think of like the whole point of the series was to specifically sell me uh, these comics, which just makes me feel like a sucker. Yep. 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 So, I mean, it's one... Yeah, it was like it's one thing out of Avengers out of Avengers versus X Men, and then you have like a new status quo, and you have a whole bunch of series starting and stuff like this. But like this literally would be like, hey, this this plot line is winding down. Read the series, and it would have an ad right there. And I'm just like, no. Now I kind of don't want to read the series because you're shoving it in my face, and it feels like this whole thing was a three ninety nine ad. Uh, so basically, for forty dollars, I think it people can spend it on other things. Like extra comedies of Liberator and other creator-owned books. Yes, and Liberator. And the other, uh, the other one that I would say that really stood out. That's a good comic since I just took a dump on Age of Ultron. A comic that uh, blew me away. Um, Joe Hill, who I mean is an amazing writer, Lock and Key, um, the Cape. Like the guy's proven he can write. He's got a new series from IDW called Thumbprint. That is awesome, um, and I should send it to. You. I need to send it to you and force you to read it. So basically, it is a soldier back from Iraq, a female soldier, and she obviously did uh, horrible shit over there. Um, was involved like in Abu Ghraib sort of stuff, and then someone's kind of mysteriously threatening her, and does it have to deal with what she did overseas? Did it, is it not? Is it something else? Plus, there's the, like the misogyny in the military uh, issue that's kind of brought up in an actually decent way a few times. Um, huh. So it's really it's really well done. I I loved it. Um, What's the name of so the book I, again? I need you. It's called Thumbprint by IDW. It came out um, I want to say two weeks ago, and we we got a review copy, so I can I can hook you up with that, and you can check it out. Um, but really, really cool for folks who like military stories, like mysteries, or is just a fan of Joe Hill. Like, highly recommended. It. it blew me away. Um, I should have read it sooner, but I was an idiot and did it. That's really cool. What are you making of the mm-hmm. enemy within? The enemy within stuff in uh, Captain America. I, I refused. Okay, I really do want to read Avengers Assemble because I like the writer and I really like the characters, but I just had put a, a limit, you know, to the number of monthly books I was picking up by the big two. And so I hadn't been reading that one, even though I'm sure it's really strong and, and in an ideal world I'd be reading it. But as a result, when I saw on my issue of Captain Marvel that I picked up today, part three of five, I was like, oh, jeez, are you really going to do this to me? And had you been reading the other books in that mini, in that crossover? Hello? Hello. Hey, sorry about that. We can't go show without me getting dropped. Um, I 
Do you want me to re- repeat my question? Did, did you hear me? Hello? Well, I, I am looking forward to reading this new issue of Captain Marvel regardless. Uh, I did not pick up the associated issues of Avengers Assemble. Hey, sorry about that. It, there you go. So I, I was just saying how disappointed I was when I saw that, you know, Avengers Assemble looks like a fantastic comic. It really does, but I haven't been reading it. And um, I was not thrilled to see on the cover of my Captain Marvel book that what I had picked up was part three of a five-part series of which I didn't have the other two parts. That it's on, Yeah, I haven't read it I haven't read it. It's on my pile to read tonight. Um, I've got a nice little pile that I need to catch up with that I didn't do enough of that this weekend. Um, but that's like towards the top of stuff I want to get through. Yeah, I I don't know. Have you been reading Avengers Assemble? Generally, uh, yeah, I have. Um, I mean, it's okay. I don't think it's anything... Um, I do not see any reason for the series to exist, but I had issues when it first launched and didn't like that first uh, story. So, I mean, it um, to me, it, uh, it hasn't proven itself. It's It has the issue like a lot of the X-Men comics did for a while. Like, what is the point of this series? And um, uh, it hasn't it hasn't given me a reason why I should be reading it or why it should stand out. What a shame. I mean, she's a really strong writer, and I really want to read anything with Spider-Woman in it. I love Spider-Woman, but um, I don't like, I don't know, I just don't like this crossover idea. It's, it's trying to make me pick up more books than I can afford. Yeah, and I mean, it's as an event, like, who knows? I haven't read it yet, so I can't say anything. Um, Any we'll event. see. I mean, uh, Okay, we'll work yeah. well, We will reconvene. Yes, Definitely. Um, and I'm guessing that kind of uh, point to cut off the show. We done for the week. Mhm. Okay. I'm, I can tell you're exhausted post uh, Netroots. Netroots Nation, yeah. Quite. We had a really big conference for everyone. In case for those of you who don't know, but that is true. My voice is a little bit shot. <laughs> All right. And, and on that note, um, so that's wrapping up another episode of Graphic Policy Radio. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Matt Miner, and you should absolutely check out Liberator Number 1, which is out now in Occupy Comics. The first issues came out, came out, and uh, the second issue should be out soon. Uh, we want to close, that, close out again, congratulating friends at Boom and Arkea for their awesome merger. Um, this is something I was expecting at San Diego Comic-Con, not three weeks out from San Diego. So can't wait to see uh, what they got then. Um, you can catch us daily at graphicpolicy.com. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, at Graphic Policy and on Facebook at Graphic Policy. So until, until next week, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. <laughs> Keep on reading and have a geeky week. <laughs>